Hey folks, this is Jay, and I do want to apologize before the episode starts. I'm not exactly sure what was going on, but Windows was automatically bumping up the gain on my microphone, and I didn't catch it until after the episode was over, so the audio from my mic sounds kind of loud and choppy, but I do apologize. Uh, anyway, here is the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry. I can be found at nickferry.com, joined with Jay Bates of jayscustomcreations.com, and normally, to my left, April Wilkerson of wilkerdoos.com, but she is traveling today, so we have a special guest star in the house, Mr. Sean Stone. What's up? He can be found at stoneandsons.net. Thanks for uh, filling in our extra seat. Did April leave it warm for you? She did. It's nice and comfy. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That was about as corny of an intro as I've ever heard. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Normal business, right? Yeah, normal with Nick. (laughs) So how is everyone doing today? Uh, Sean, like I said, appreciate you... uh, um, um. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So if you guys aren't familiar with Sean Stone, he runs a website called stoneandsons.net. He's also on YouTube. And his YouTube channel, is it Stone and Sons Workshop? It is. Yep. Stone and Sons Workshop. We will and make sure to have a link in the show notes for all of his uh, vitals. All of his vitals, his blood type and all that stuff. Yep. Yes. Height, weight. He's height, weight, proportionate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I had I, when I was, when I visited Jay back in was that 2016 or was that already 2015? I think it was 2015. No, it wow. was January of 16. So it was all oh, okay. Ago. Okay. Um, I had the pleasure to stop by uh, Sean's workshop, and he's he's got it jam packed with stuff, just like just about any other woodworker. But he's got a lot of cool stuff in his shop, and he's a super nice guy. And like Jay said, if you guys aren't familiar, definitely check him out. Yeah, check out his website too. You can check him out all you want, but check out his website. <laughs> Come on now, I'm taking. You <laughs> <laughs> went right back to the height weight proportionate thing. <laughs> Likes long walks on the beach, and he's got a big man beard. Hey. <laughs> I do have the beard. That's that's a, that's a fact. <laughs> anyway, so um, what are we working on? What, what do you got going on, Nick? Um, I, you know, oddly enough, I've been trying to work on, a, you know, I guess what you call behind the scenes stuff, but working on a couple of projects that I didn't film and things of that nature for other people. But towards the end of the night, I had a couple boards that I chopped up into bowl blanks that were just ten quarter uh, bird's eye maple, and so I've been turning like. About a bowl a night, it seems. You know, typically just little six, maybe ten inch diameter, six or eight inch diameter ones. The lathe but has become your happy place. It has just to kind of a, a, a not to have to think about anything else, and that brings me to my my point of discussion that I wanted for for today, and that was tool philosophy or tool usage. And when I bought the lathe, I mean, I knew I was going to want to get into a couple bowls and, and make a couple pens here and there. But when I bought it, I bought it solely, or I should say majoritively, for components to other larger projects. And so I guess my, my, my tool philosophy is I just picked up on the bowls and just kind of, I don't even think about that as a tool to make 
other components for other projects. Kind of like, you know, and I'm not starting this team spindle sander thing again, but it's it's just like you, you have a tool and you know you use it for a certain process. And I knew I wasn't going to make any sense out of this, but if if you have uh, a, like a hand plane that you like, you know, oh, I got to joint this board, boom, you, you bust out that hand plane. Or maybe you got a little power joiner, maybe you got a handheld joiner. There's always kind of that, that methodology that you, you resort to. Oh, I got to rip this board down. I'm going to do that at the table saw. Or some guys go, I'm going to do that on the bandsaw. Or... So I got to almost retrain myself because there was projects that I knew I needed the lathe for to make components. But I just got completely just, oh, I'm just going to sit here and make bowls and pens and, you know. So, yeah. That's no, fine. There's so many things you can make with a lathe anyway. You could use the lathe to make a tool. Exactly. A tool to make a tool. Yeah. Sean makes, have you made any of those um, uh, mallets lately? You've got uh, a very lately. cool mallet design on the lathe. Yeah. I've got some, some ash and glue up right now that I'm going to try to make some out of. Um, I know the first ones I made were cherry. I think, Nick, you've got one, right? And I know yep. Jay does. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to try this ash. I made a couple out of oak before, um, but the ash, I think, is a lot heavier. Right. So, so the um, are all of yours, let's see, every other one that I've seen of yours previously has just been a solid blank. Have you experimented any with, like, laminating different colored or different species of woods at all? No, I thought about it when I cut up the ash that I've got and glued it up, but I was going to put a, put a piece of walnut between the two uh, pieces mm-hmm. of ash, but I, I decided to go straight ash. Yeah. I really like the design of, of the, the mallet you started making. It's um, If you guys look, well, obviously Sean Stone has a video on his channel you can check out, and we'll link to that. But um, on my tool wall, if you look at the top right corner, the second to right mallet is a Sean Stone design mallet. And I think you start, what's the thickness you start with? Like a three inch thick square blank or a rectangle Actually, it's blank? A, it's a four by two and three quarter. Four by two and three quarter. Yeah, and that, then you, that you, way you get the, the round and the flat together. Right, which is nice because the, just a regular round mallet, uh, they roll around and roll off your bench or whatever. Yeah, but, exactly. So yeah, yeah. You, it, it serves several purposes, you know, without... It doesn't roll off the table, and then you have like a combination of the joiner and the carver's mallet in one. And then, of course, I know I think UJ like to leave the mallet laying on the table because the handle is kind of elevated, so you can just kind of grab it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. While it's sitting, I guess horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this you can do that with this one as well. Yeah, there's a uh, you you started making those. I guess this was uh, the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, something like that. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, and then you accidentally stumbled upon putting a little finger grip in there, and that's what makes those mallets awesome. It really does. There's a little, uh, the the design he's got with just a little bit of a finger grab that really makes it nice. Yeah, I don't think Nick's has that. He has one of the early ones. Yeah, both mine and Nick's cherry one are, are the your original design. And I keep the, the cherry one that I got from you on the lathe cart. And I primarily, well, I only use it for really tightening down the tailstock. We, we you, have you, some of the vintage stuff. Yeah, vintage. Yes, yes. Vintage Circa 2015. Stuff. Yeah, vintage. They're, they're the expensive ones. <laughs> there you go. 
I, it's funny too, we're talking about mallets, I did that longer video about turning a, a wood mallet, uh, totally different design, two-piece with the handle going into the head, but I had a lot of people, you know, when I was pounding it in the video, they're like, why don't you just, you know, use a hammer to hammer the, you know, to set the head, hang the head. I'm like, I, I say it right in the video that I didn't want people going, wow, okay, so I need a mallet to make a mallet? <laughs> <laughs> need a bandsaw to make a bandsaw. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... I mean, that's kind of, you know, pre-industrial revolution when, when a lot of people on, you know, end mills and lathes and stuff that, you know, you can make tools with tools and each iteration of it, they get more accurate. I mean, you, you essentially you could go grab a stick out in the yard and use that as a mallet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, make a mallet and then, but it's just, you know, tools evolving and getting more accurate and just one of those things. I didn't want to be accused of having, you know, needing... A mallet to make a mallet. Mallets are like pencils. You can never have too many of them. I've got uh, I've got two Sean Stone design mallets. I've got one of my square head mallets. I've got a um, brass top uh, 16 ounce mallet from David Barron. Uh, April Wilkerson sent me a mallet. Drew Short from Sean. Uh, Drew Short from Rock and H. Yeah, uh, sent me one of his mallets. You can never have too many mallets. Yeah. yeah, kind of like tape measures. You know, you've got to lay on all over the shop. Yeah, you got a mallet in each location. <laughs> yeah. That, well, yeah, tape measures are pretty much ubiquitous in my shop because if I'm like a wingspan away from a tape measure, I'm kind of mad. Like, mm. oh man, I mean, oh, I got to walk three steps to yes. go get a tape measure. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I think I've gotten that down pat to where I. I actually do. That's like one of the only things that I actually do put back every single time I use it because there's a specific spot on the miter saw station where the tape measures go, and it just, I don't know, maybe it looks weird without them, so I'm just more inclined to put them back on there. Uh, but no, I think it's funny you say that, Jay. <laughs> last, time you're, last time you were at my shop, I had to keep putting my tape measure back in the right spot. Yeah, so I finally <laughs> learned at, in my shop. There's a little asterisk there. Just my shop. Uh, I'm just there's a, there's a special spot for my tape measures. Top of the table saw, the bandsaw table, the top of the lathe, the top of the lathe of the head, the, the workbench, the assembly. T you know where you know wherever you set it down. That's a special spot. <laughs> yeah, I've seen pictures of your shop, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it's too small. My uh, I was talking with my wife the other day, and she was saying about I need a bigger shop, and I'm like I couldn't agree more, but I couldn't believe she said it. <laughs> like wow, I think I got her on board for future additions. Or I, I mean, I can't add on to this one where it sits on the property and stuff, but man, I'd, I'd love a bigger shop. So getting back into what we've got going on, um, Sean has some in shop classes for the youth uh, in his area. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've kind of got a different name for that because I kind of separate it from the Stone and Sons in quotation marks, you know. it's uh, I call it I Make Studios, and it's a couple of days. Uh, actually, it's three classes, but it's two on like a Wednesday and one on a Friday. And I've got homeschooled children that come over to my shop <clears throat> that take part in a woodworking class. And it's just basic, you know, it's the basic woodworking um, you know, fundamentals, fundamentals. And yeah. And what's cool about it is it kind of goes towards their education. They get credit for taking this class. Uh, nothing I have to do on my part, but, um, 
they take it and if i see that they you know if learned what they need to learn then i can say yeah you passed and and uh they get credit for that but it's really cool to see these kids come in and not, some of them not see anything or not know anything uh and before they get here and you know two or three four classes in you know they they, they pick up on things you know it's kind of cool just to see them kind of uh evolve into a woodworker i guess you could say that's that's really cool i didn't i didn't know you were doing that that's that's awesome congratulations i uh it's just one of those things about the the next generations coming up and i i value shop time with my kids a lot and so yeah getting youngsters in there just the other day with my two kids were doing homework they were sitting in a little lawn chair in the corner of the shop and we just had dialogue between you know them working on their homework and it was just it was just good quality time. We weren't even making anything. I was just picking up and stuff. But that's super cool that you're getting kids out there and that they can get some credit for it in their homeschooling and 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 learn some stuff. Maybe maybe spark some interest in some of those kids to to pursue it further as they as they grow up. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I appreciate that. Uh, one cool thing is, so my early Wednesday class is a couple of girls. Uh, we're talking, you know, under twelve years old, and the one of the moms kind of grew up on a farm and her granddad was into woodworking and and so she's kind of hanging out a little bit watching some of the classes and she's made comments before i'd love to just hang out with you guys in here and learn myself because that's what she grew up with and now her daughter is is able to kind of follow along you know in her footsteps so that's cool are there any particular projects or i mean is it tool techniques and fundamentals or are you actually building something towards the end like you know, we do different projects. Um, I had an earlier conversation with Jay about this. It's I'm kind of developing the curriculum as I go because it's the first uh, set of classes that I've done. So I'm kind of doing a uh, spring and not sure about the summer yet and then a fall. But <clears throat> this first set of classes will kind of set the tone for the next, like the fall semester, basically. But we do several projects through you know, throughout the, what is it, 17 weeks that we meet. Um, and then some of those meetings that we have, we'll just learn about tools, you know, and That's operate cool. them, make test cuts and, you know, how to maintenance to different tools, you know, so try to cover the basis. It, it, it's something that needs to be done as, as more and more frequently, as much as shop is being devalued and eliminated in public schools, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. Especially in these small towns, like you and I both live in small towns. You're in, in Columbus, Mississippi. I'm in Starkville, Mississippi. And we just really don't have the population to even have the option for a lot of the shop-based stuff, um, mm-hmm. let alone um, you know funding and all that stuff. So that, that's really awesome. Yeah, there is a tech school being built in Columbus um, for the uh, county schools. Um, but I don't think you know there's anything like that available to just the general public yeah and it's funny too you mentioned about the one gal um kind of growing up on a farm i know i kind of caught a fair amount of crap for telling people in a couple of my web posts that i'm not too fond of the the word or the term maker because i always hark back to that when you're on a farm and you might not have a general store or you know or even you know my my mom grew up on her grandma's farm. We had a family friend that I was on their farm quite a bit. And it was that mentality of you had to know tools, you had to know machinery, you had to know equipment, you had to know processes to get you through uh, fixing and making stuff that breaks and main, maintenance and stuff because 
you are the fence mender. You are the one that's got to make a you know barn door. You are the one that has to make the step stool when when you start having kids because they can't reach the sink. You know, it, it, you didn't they didn't need a term for it back then, but I think it's that whole farm um, or even <laughs> modern nomenclature. I guess would be homestead, but uh, uh, yeah, just yeah. just that kind of jack of all trades because you're kind of responsible for your own your own self and making sure that things work and run properly and and I know a lot of farmers don't have a whole lot of money too so it's not like they're going oh I'm going to go buy a you know $1800 dining room set when oh, I got a pile of wood over there and see what I can make you know farmhouse table I guess yeah yeah it's it's a cool gig I've enjoyed it so that's awesome and you still do uh are you still doing the weekly weekly videos weekly builds videos yeah, I do that. I do the classes and then also do the weekly videos on my main channel and then I do the shop updates on my second channel. Yeah. So Sean Stone has a full schedule. <laughs> yeah, it's full. And then, of course, then you- the sons part of Stone and Sons. You've got three boys and yeah. um, they're starting to take more interest in the shop too, aren't they? Yeah. And I talked about this uh, in a previous video, but. Um, I, I don't include them in all of my videos. I know my name, the channel name, my business name is Stone and Sons. But, you know, a lot of the times if I'm doing a project and I just pull them in just because I want them in the video, you know, they more than likely they're going to get burned out because their attention span is really short. So I just try to give them the option of when they want to come out here or like this past video that I did was on a, a tool tote. I did that specifically for them to be able to assemble it with me in the shop all three of them i went ahead and pre-cut everything but just to kind of keep it you know interesting for them to where they want to come out for the next shop session yeah regardless though it's awesome that you're getting them involved i've been over there a couple times when uh your oldest boy grabs tape measure and starts measuring everything or maybe it was one (laughs) of your younger ones um yeah just just starts measuring everything that's so cute heck i like doing that still from time to time But yeah, yeah, with the the kids, uh, not only the attention span, but you you almost have to you know make it fun for them because I mm-hmm. my my boy was acting up. There was a, just a bad week in school where it seemed like we were getting a call from either the teacher or whatever. Like three days out of the five, he was there, and so we ended up holding him on Friday, and he spent the day with me instead of going to school. And I wanted to talk to him about you know misbehaving, but I said let's build something in the shop. And that was my excuse to sit down with him and talk. I said, you want to build a napkin holder, you know, for some roll paper towel? He's like, no. I'm like, how about we build a Mario question block? He's like, yeah. And so it, it to completely, it's just the, the, the actual project itself. And that got him a little bit more excited about that. So definitely something to keep in mind for people that, that want to work with youngsters out in the shop is, that I guess they don't like a dowel in a, in a base of oak and call it a napkin holder. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. If you guys uh, haven't already, be sure to check out Sean Stone on YouTube and stop by stoneandsons.net to see all of his content. Um, so for me, what I've got going on this week, well, for a little while at least, is uh, overflowing with hickory. I found uh, I found a, a sawmill just north of the Mississippi-Tennessee line in, oh, I'm drawing a blank, Middleton, Tennessee? just south of Middleton, Tennessee. Uh, but anyway, he's got a ridiculous amount of hickory for sale. He said he's got 70,000 board feet that I think he's, um, 
Oh, he explained it to me, and I'm, I'm again drawing a blank. I think he had a bad deal, or one of his vendors just stopped accepting it or stopped needing it, I guess. So he's got plenty on hand. But anyway, uh, I got a bundle of... It was advertised as a 1,000 board feet, but he said it should be 1,126, I think. That was the number, 1,124, 1,127, something like that. Uh, board feet of hickory, and it's all four-quarter, and got all of it for $350. So, slew of wood. Yeah, it's a lot of wood, man. But... <laughs> You know, for some people, it depends on where you live. Some people, that may not be that great of a price if you're buying that much in bulk. Some people, that's a ridiculous, awesome price. For me, it is a far cry from the, was it, $4.50 or $5 board foot that I was paying for Hickory. And it is about the same distance north as I would have to travel south. So that's not really too big of a concern. Uh, but the, the main selling factor for me was like, obviously it's a ridiculously awesome price, but that is a ton of wood and only one trip to go get it. Mm. So after my next project, the next time I need lumber, I'm going to walk outside of the pile, pull the tarp off and get my lumber. So that's uh, nice. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked about it, it which, uh, Wayne Brown from, um, well, he's woodworking one on, on Instagram, but he lives in Jackson and, uh, he volunteered to come up here and help me unload the uh, whole stack, which thanks again, Wayne. That was, uh, whew, that made me feel like I was a lot older than I am. Um, <laughs> but we got it it's, all. It's a lot of work stacking wood and restacking it and stickering it. It's a lot of work and backbreaking work. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was a lot of work. Anyway, got it all sticker stacked today. And the cool thing about that is I visually saw every single piece of wood. You know, it wasn't like I just backed the trailer up and I'll just go through the pile as I need it. But I visually saw every single piece of wood. And there's some really good pieces. There's some really crap pieces. Um, basically, what I've, I've come to the conclusion of, if I can get, well, I know I can get, at, at the very least, 50% of it is good large furniture project wood. Uh, meaning that I can get like a large tabletop out of it or something like that. It's all uh, eight, nine feet long pieces and various widths. The longest good piece that I have, I've got two pieces that are 18 inches wide. Um, so yeah, that, that's really cool. But I have a little bit over 50%, I think, that are really good quality. And then the rest of it is good enough quality for like boxes and small cabinets and such. Uh, they they didn't stick or stack it when they first ran it, so they just bundled it together. So you have a little bit of warping and cupping and bowing here and there, which the quality of the wood itself is pretty good. You just have to deal with those little defects. Well, if you mill it down, you can still get usable material, but you have a little bit more waste than something that you would necessarily want for like a you know like a dining tabletop. So overall, very pleased with it. I think I calculated with. The um, with my mileage and the IRS mileage rate, I think I calculated it out to be forty-eight cents per board feet. And if you calculate that into be into fifty percent waste for just the good pieces, then you can say that you spent what ninety-six cents per board feet on the good pieces, and then the rest is just included for free. So you know that's hmm. just just really cool. The only downside is it's a thousand board feet of wood. <laughs> 
Well, uh, but I mean, you got you got lam- laminate floors, right? <laughs> yeah, and they're going to stay <laughs> laminate floors because I I've learned that old lesson of if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Jay, I have a couple of questions for you on that. Yeah. So the first question is: Did you put all of the visually appealing pieces on top? Nope. I uh, I didn't want to get into the situation where I was just pulling all the good and I'm I'm stuck with the bad. So I'm just well. My game plan is I just pulled it off and stacked it just in that same order. Well, me and Wayne did. And my objective is to go through it top to bottom. So if I need X amount of board feet, pull X amount of board feet, work with what I have and make the best that I can with what I pulled out. That way I don't, you know, get the selects out just first. And then, like I said, I'm just left with just this, the bad stuff. Yeah, sure. I, I would have thought about it in reverse and actually put the good in one pile, the bad in the other pile, and then tried to use the, all the bad first. Be like, oh, this is just a tool handle. I can use that, you know, and then hopefully be left with all the good. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Um, it's, you know what I wish I would have done? I wish I would have pulled out all the spalted stuff because there's like four boards in there that have got some nice spalting going on. Wish I would have pulled them out, but I was like, as I was stacking it, I was like, no, I'll just use it as needed. I don't, and that, and I don't think you mentioned, but is it kiln, kiln dried or? It's air dried. And okay. um, my moisture meter, now I don't know how accurate my moisture meter is, but I can compare it to the same species. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I took the moisture meter <clears throat> and uh, was using it on my dining table and I was getting 7% on it. And then these boards I was showing at 10%. So. Okay. They're 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 fairly dry. Uh, I'm gonna let the, well, of course, the vast majority of it's is is under a tarp outside right now. I got to figure out a long term covering situation to where I still let them breathe. Um, but the, I did pull out probably sixty or seventy board feet for this upcoming table build, and I sticker stacked it in the garage. And I'm gonna let it sit there for like a week or so before I get on the uh, living room tables. You could always make like a little covering lean to out of hickory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I, Jay, I, go ahead. Now, my second question was going to be: Did they only have hickory, or did they have have other species? He had. He told me specifically that it, that they have seventy thousand board feet of hickory, and I think it's all in one thousand board feet bundles. Which he says they're labeled one thousand, but they're really about eleven hundred twenty something. Um, and he also said that they have poplar and ash. But I didn't get a price on either one of those, and I didn't get a quantity on either one of those. But I, as I was driving up, all the ash that I saw is sticker stacked. The hickory was just bundled all together, so the ash is probably a little bit better quality. The poplar would be nice to... You should get a price on that. That would be nice to have, just for shop projects and stuff, just have some clear, straight stuff sitting around and then kind of almost have an inventory of it. I would... I mean, we get we don't necessarily get poplar around here as much as as we do aspen, but man, yeah, that'd be nice. Or even painted projects, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. First thing that comes to mind with poplar is is um, white white painted furniture, like uh, white lacquered cabinets and such. You know, poplar is poplar takes a um, man. Why can't I think of words today? What not not uh, translucent? What's the other word for translucent? Where it's opaque. Yeah. Oh, it takes opaque finishes very well. 
So yeah, that's what I've got going on. Um, I'm up to my eyeballs in Hickory and hopefully don't have to do much traveling in the near future to, uh, to go get anything else. So I, I, I'd like to get out there in the shop and just, just knock out something. I'm tired of not making anything. Um, but yeah, me, me too. So you guys want to jump into some questions? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, this is one. I just want to throw this one out here. We get this question quite frequently, and I know that uh, not that many people are interested in it. However, it keeps popping up, so I'll just answer it real fast. Um, Eric asks, I'm wondering if you could all touch on the subject of content creation as it relates to revenue. How did you each get started with your revenue from content? Uh, best ways to get income flowing and what point should someone consider if this is what serious, if they were serious about content creation, monetization versus sponsorship partners, etc. Um, so just the blanket answer that will honestly help the most for anybody who's interested and I think all three of us can vouch for this, is if you're interested in online content creation as a means for revenue, go to smartpassiveincome.com and become a sponge. Yeah, I'll also add to that, episode 192, 193, and 194 are the ones that touch on the revenue streams. Man. Yeah, Pat Pat Flynn is pretty knowledgeable over there at smartpassiveincome.com. We're none of, I don't I don't believe any I, I know I'm not, but none of us are affiliated with him at all officially. Uh, for me it was I didn't I just posted videos and they started getting views and then I turned on the monetization or whatever. I didn't even have it on there for a long time. And it it just it it just snowballed. I think if somebody sets out to do this purely for money i i think that it's going to be a, a bigger uphill battle because it was i think that passion shows through I, I mean i wanted to legitimately show people what i was building and making you know because that's what i'm passionate about I, I never thought you could even make a living at it necessarily yeah i was kind of by accident just started uploading videos and then after a little while i met jay and after i had started getting into it a little bit and so I think I think Jay and the collaboration part of it helped me along the way as well. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. The short answer: just just check out smartpassiveincome.com and and become a sponge. The, he can the amount of information there is way more than we can elaborate here. Uh, so be sure to check that out. We'll post a link in the article for this video. And jumping on to the second question because I know all three of us are different on this. Uh, Jay Wolf asks full sheet plywood storage question mark uh, my shop is about an inch shorter than eight feet so vertical sheet vertical full sheet plywood storage is not an option plywood carts were all the rage but are they really practical and then there's the thought to just store your full sheet goods of plywood at your local lumber store what's your thoughts and opinions i, I know in my shop i store mine um i guess you would say vertical in a plywood sheet goods storage system I have. I have nine foot ceilings, so it's not a problem for me to store it that way. But I will say that I have noticed in the past, if I don't clamp all those, whatever I have in there together, then they'll start to cup and bow a little bit just from the, from its own weight, you know, in the shop. So, um, as far as full sheet storage and whether you should, you know, just you kind of pick it up as you go from the local lumber store, I'll make sure to post a picture on Instagram uh, of mine because I just recently redid it. And the way I did it was 
to where the garage door, it's a two-stall garage, where the garage door opens and you can fill the back of the full sheet storage rack from the driveway. And then when you shut the garage door, then that, you know, the other side is then the front of the rack. And as I pull that out and it's sitting, I guess, horizontally, so it's four foot tall, it can, you can almost essentially flop it up onto the table saw and it's, it's right there. I, I typically don't have full sheets though of much other than a sheet of half inch, sheet of three quarter, and like a sheet of quarter inch MDF, and maybe a sheet of like quarter inch underlayment Luon. Um, because, yeah, I don't want to store a ton of it. And if I need anything like three sheets or four sheets, that'll be specific for a project, and I'll make a lumber run just specific for that. Um, and But my, my rack will hold, you know, half sheets, quarter sheets pretty easily as well. And I really dig it. Uh, one of the things I debated adding, and I just... I just opted not to because I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but I'm I'm about two inches up off the floor just for, you know, we get, you know, snow and moisture and once in a while my shop floor I'll end up wet, so to keep it, you know, not on concrete or anything like that, but you can also add rollers on the bottom, uh, you know, to make it easier to slide them in and out. I didn't necessarily see that as, you know, I don't mind, you know, grabbing out a piece of three quarter, but if, if somebody doesn't want to be you know, doing that, they can make it a little bit easier by adding some rollers on the bottom. So you're saying, Nick, you're taking up 16 feet of wall space? No, actually, this is, and that's why I'll post a, a picture of it on my Instagram. This is um, right in the middle, almost, of my shop. It's it's It kind of dawned on me that this, this could be a peninsula coming out 8 feet uh-huh. into my shop. Well, then you got to slide it out 8 feet, too, though, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, I mean, yeah. these... <clears throat> but, but yeah, that space stored. But yeah, yeah. That okay. that space behind his table saw is where this. When you pull the wood out of his car or rack, it's basically already behind the table saw, which is kind of a walkway anyway. So it's ready to you. be lifted right up on the saw. So it's not you. like you have to. It's not like it's on the wall and you have to dedicate. Like you can't put anything eight to the left of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I uh, I I sketched it up. I my shop has been. I probably sketched it up, I want to say, in SketchUp, uh, seven years ago, something like that, six years ago. And then each time I would add a tool or add something, I would either pull it from their, their library or if I had to you know, draw it. So over the years, it's evolved, and, and it's really just real easy to be able to flip the table saw or move the assembly table in you know, SketchUp space and then see if I have room and... Um, but I'm, I'll, like I said, I'll make sure to post a picture on Instagram, both the lumber rack and maybe even the SketchUp file. Yeah. As far as me, I'm sure most people understand that I've got rearrangeitis. So <laughs> I uh, I try this, it doesn't work. Try something else, it doesn't work. Try something else. So I, I tried the whole vertical storage thing. And what uh, that was the most convenient for me because it was out of the way. It was in the corner, and it just it didn't take up much space. However accessing it the garage door was in the way it was just a pain in the butt i if the garage door rail wasn't in the way i think that's probably where it would still be today um so i've done the wall vertical storage uh i've also done a dedicated plywood cart that was i think like 18 inches front to back a full eight feet long and it stored the plywood vertically but with the four foot direction going up and that worked out really well. But actually, you know what? I didn't have any complaints with that unit. 
However, I valued the space more for other tools, so it just had to go. So I gave it away locally. Um, and, and that was probably the, the best ease of use. Again, you, you have the downside of it just taking up too much space. Currently, what I do is I have I have uh, Home Depot cut the plywood at 66 inches because that's what I can safely haul without anything hanging out or anything. So, uh, And that's also a perfect size to fit underneath my assembly table. So that's where I have it now. It is a horrible situation storing it horizontally under my assembly table. It's a pain in the butt to get out. It just is what it is right now. I do like I was, the idea of it laying flat, though. Yeah, I do like I do like it laying flat. I, I think um, I haven't really noticed any any bowing or anything like that that you would typically see with it being vertical. Um, however, for me, the best solution would be, like you said, store it at the store. But I, I, I have to drive an hour and 15 minutes or something like that to Tupelo, Mississippi, to Home Depot. Uh, I don't have any good luck with the stuff that I get here at my local Lowe's. It absolutely destroys my sinuses. It always has uh, for way before I figured out I had sinus issues. Um, the stuff I get from Home Depot is Pure Bond plywood. I've had great results with it. I will say there's a little caveat there that I, um, when I was using a lot of plywood projects, making a lot of plywood projects... Uh, I worked out a deal with them for marketing to where I didn't have to pay out of pocket, but I did pay via marketing for them. So I'm, you know, taking my word being a little biased there. Um, but yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to drive to Tupelo for one or two sheets an hour and 15 minutes away from here. So I try to keep some on hand, but the more I progress as far as my projects go, the less plywood I seem to be using. So I haven't really gone through that much plywood in a while. I guess that's a long way of saying the best solution is to keep it at the store. True. Yeah. With, with you having to drive that far, I could see, you know, you know, stocking up on a few more sheets. But I mean, when you were here, you visited my sheet goods place and that's, that's not even 15 minutes from my house. And they probably have, I don't know, a hundred and a half, 200 and a half varieties of, sheet goods so that is just not fair it was the plywood mecca i think they were going through an owner change and he said they inventoried over a million individual panels yeah wow it is it's just balls to the wall plywood man it's just it's nuts and it, and it's cool because some of the stuff is it's it, you know variety is is nice but they also get some kind of one-off stuff from time to time some stuff that they use in the boat building business a one inch thick with a cork core and it, it, i mean just some weird stuff from time to time and so every time i'm in there i'm like what do you got different that's you know you don't want to build anything like a, a, a cabinet base to it and then try and come back to it three months later and get the same stuff mm-hmm. but it's it's always kind of cool to see the different variety. My local big box stores are they're, they're potato chips. I mean, I'm surprised that you know they even try to sell that stuff the way the way. Oh man, it's it's even bad for rough building you know construction sheathing sometimes. All right, let's jump to the next one really quick. And I think this is a good question because all three of us have different varieties of this particular tool. Peter Peter Burrow, what is I can't pronounce his name. Peterborough Jiffer? Yeah. Anyway, he says, sorry. He says, uh, going to either buy or build 
a lathe? Well, first off, I am one to be, uh, my personal thought is a lathe for me is a little bit too, I would, I would rather buy than build. I, I'd want the precision of, precision and heft of like a cast iron type lathe, just my personal preference. Um, but he says, not sure how long of a bed I would need. Jay, do you feel that your lathe is not long enough or maybe too long for average projects? Uh, what would I, what would work until I possibly upgrade later? And thanks. So I think this is a great question because I've got a jet four, uh, 1014 VS, just a small mini lathe. I think Sean has the step up from that. And he has a full size Harbor Freight lathe. And then, uh, of course, Nick has a really nice full size lathe. So, Sean, you've had, I think you've had your lathe the longest of, of the Harbor Freight lathe that you have. What do you have to say about it? Do you think there's any changes that you would look for on your next one? You know, I've got the, what is it, um, uh, 12, no, 14 by 44, whatever it is. Uh, and my thought process on this was, you know, I can turn smaller projects, no problem. Uh, but if I want to turn a table leg, I can because I have the, the length is there. But as far as getting getting into uh, using a lathe, the Harbor Freight's been great. I haven't had a problem with it, and it was less than two hundred dollars. <throat> and I've got a you know options there whether I want to turn something long or or not. But if I were to get something else, I think I would go with a um, a smaller lathe just for the simple fact is I turn smaller things more so than uh, larger projects. Yeah. So, so, um, I've seen yours, I've interacted with yours. Yours is belt driven, but not variable speed. So you have to yeah. manually change the belts. Honestly, and, I haven't even changed the, the belt, the speed on it. it, it <laughs> really? I have it kind of like in the middle and yeah. it does what I need it to do. I just don't nice. like changing it. It's a pain. I was going to say it's a pain. And I've noticed like the, the variable speed on mine is so, so convenient. Yeah. So and that I, would be one thing that I would um, recommend other people to look at is variable speed. That's just my personal opinion. And let me throw something else in there too, because you've mentioned it. Why, you know, being over here, I have to use a wrench every time I want to move the tool rest or, uh, you know, the tail the tail stock or whatever. I've got to use a, a manual wrench. I don't have any quick releases. Now I could probably build some. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. So that's so, that's a that's a pain also. Right. And then, I mean, as far as trying to build a lathe versus buy, I think that would all depend on what the guy wants to make on it because I would imagine you could get away with um, just almost like a drill-powered type home-built lathe for pens and things of that nature, maybe even bottle stoppers. And But as soon as you start getting into bowls, even like 6, 8, 10 inches, I, I'm going to second Jay's thing on just having the weight, the heft of you know cast iron and you know just having that bulk and then and then you get the precision with it mine is i think it's close to 600 pounds and i there's a couple different you know models as far as the longer ones but i think mine's like 42 inch between centers and they um you know they, they go bigger like some some go up to 47 but think of spindles are you gonna do spindles for stairs or spindles for a little you know a, a railing or something i I forget what international building code is on it or whatever, but I mean, you're you're not 42 between centers. You're gonna you're gonna hit that, 
you know, especially with, you know, your top railing and stuff like that. So what do you need past 42 inches for spindles? Not, it doesn't occur often anyways. And mine's, you know, just it's heavy as can be and accurate and torquey. I like, I, it's plenty of torque. I got, oh, what was that bowl I did the other day? It was, was fairly big because the swing on mine, I think is 11 inches. So I think you can put like a little under a, you know, 22 inch blank on it. And that's, and that's what I bought the last woodworking show I went to. They had a, a guy selling bowl blanks, and I bought, I think it was a 21-inch around just <laughs> behemoth. Wow. Yeah, so I'll, I'll probably make that into a video just because, but um, that'll that'll be an interesting one. There's a, there's some cracks and checking to that that i got to fill, but yeah. Now, I will say that the, the Harbor Freight Lay that I've got is nowhere near 600 pounds. I can pick it up and carry it around the shop wherever I want to. But I have my table is like screwed to the wall, and my lathe is bolted down to that table, so it's not going anywhere. Uh, but it definitely does not have that that weight to it. Yeah, yeah. and then, well, that and whether whether it walks, you know, or you bolt it down, or but it's just the extra heft for vibration reduction. Just having, uh, you know, a headstock that is cast iron, and, the, and then the bedways are are you know just big and bulky. I think that just cuts down overall uh, all that vibration and. I don't know. I like mine. I saved up for it for a long time. I knew I didn't want a mini lathe because I knew I was going to be, oh man, this doesn't have variable speed. And I knew I was going to want that. Oh, this thing is, isn't big enough to do a long spindle. And I knew I was going to want that. Oh, this thing isn't very heavy and it's, you know. So, I mean, I saved. That was, you know, the two options. You can either upgrade things over time or save up and get, you know, what, you, what you're going to want and have for a long time. I went the latter option for, at least for a lathe. Yeah, um, as far as me, uh, he directly referenced mine. Do I think mine is not long enough? Um, no, the vast majority of stuff that I've done has been within the capacity of the original um, ten by fourteen capacity of the lathe. However, I do have the bed extension; uh, it came with it as well. So I do have the possibility to expand for a spindle, like a longer spindle turning. But honestly, no. The vast majority of everything that I've done, and I've turned a, a few like uh, nine-inch bowls on my little lathe too. So you don't, if, if you don't want to go too big with your bowls, you can still get it done on a smaller lathe. Granted, you don't have that that power and that torque to power through cuts. You just can't, may have to cut a little slower. Um, but no, to answer your question directly, do I feel like mine isn't long enough? No. All right, I've uh, been talking quite a bit with these questions, so why don't you hit the next one, Nick? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Adam Tuttle, uh, if you're going to try and make your own pizza peel, what kind of wood would you use and why, and, and how would you cut the bevel on the front edge? And this is where I'm going to get outed real quick. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of pizza. What? What? I know, I know that's what people say. I I like the goofy pizzas, like barbecue chicken and pineapple and red onion, you know, that, I like dig some goofy flavors, but even growing up as a kid, I never liked either cheese, sausage, pepperoni okay. pizza. Okay, so, all right, let, let me rephrase this, <laughs> let me rephrase this. Adam says, Nick, it is your job to make Jay a pizza peel, because Jay's favorite food in the whole world is pizza. What kind of wood would you make for Jay's pizza peel? <laughs> And, um, and how would you cut the front? Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would probably say walnut for me if I was going to make a pizza peel. I don't think I ever have made a pizza peel. Like it, 
I, I could have at some point, but um, walnut, and depending on how you're going to cook the pizza, if you're going to do like a, a stone in the oven and then you're, you know, trying to peel the pizza off of that, that way, you know, if that stone is hot, you're not going to in two years have this pine thing that looks all burnt and charred, you know, <laughs> so at least walnut's dark to start. And yeah, I would definitely bevel the, the edge. I, I would look into um, using one of my, you know, granted it's an expensive router bit, but I, luckily I have it. Um, I have a slanted, you know, raised panel bit that's actually, rather than a concave or convex, it's slanted. It's, it's like almost like a, just a steep angle chamfer. That's what I would probably pull out and try and use for that. And I would probably leave like an eighth inch of actual edge because I've seen people make pizza peels and it's like five eighths of end grain. And how do you jam that thing <laughs> under there? I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that would work. But yeah, that's probably what I would use for that. Or uh, yeah, that's probably what I would end up using. Either that, or I just like power carve it. I got a bunch of power carving stuff. So I guess I would say hickory. I don't know. Hickory would be. Um my choice for whatever reason a hickory is a hard wood and you know i guess it would last a lot longer going in and out of the oven uh, and as far as the edge of it i would just go at it with a plane and some files or something i don't know some files <laughs> <laughs> i have a lot of files so that's why i said that yeah yeah, yeah rasp rasp uh, would work inside pretty good joke. never mind um so yeah just because i'm overflowing with hickory i'm gonna go with hickory but in a practical standpoint uh, I would still go with hickory because hickory is very dense, very hard, which means you can get away with making it a little bit thinner and still have that that uh, structure to it. And as far as the front edge, I would use a hand plane. It really wouldn't take that long. Just make sure before you start, before you do any edge, edge work, um, use a pencil to determine where your stop point is on both the flat face and the front end grain face. And once you have those pencil lines, all you got to do is use the plane to plane away material until you get to those pencil lines. So start with the pencil lines just so you have a reference point of knowing where to stop. And then if you aren't that uh, great with a hand plane, then just get it close with the hand plane. Uh, of course, obviously always planing downhill so you don't plane into the grain. And then uh, finish it up with, uh, you know, sandpaper, random orbital sander, scraper, spoke shave, one of Sean Stone's 16 million files. <laughs> I've been giving them out. <laughs> You've been giving them out? <laughs> As, yeah. Baking them in cake. Shop guest <laughs> gifts. Yeah. Uh, this is your graduation present for the first, <laughs> first course. <laughs> That's oh funny. man, you're gonna need like a some sort of file organizer, but of, of an, a file type. I, how do you differentiate without saying woodworking file, <laughs> bastard file, or double cut, or yeah? Oh, mine are the same. So didn't <laughs> I was gonna say they're all the same file. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, they're, what? What do you just have all mill files or what? Uh, I was at an estate sale and there were a bunch of files, <clears throat> and I just grabbed them. And so I had them hanging up on this magnetic, magnetic bar in my shop. And, of course, this is when Matt Lane was down. And Jay and Matt had to give me a hard time. <laughs> yeah. It's probably all pattern ma- pattern makers files and stuff. Ay, yeah, yeah. Probably got time for one or two more questions. Sean, why don't you take the next one? Oh, uh, the longest question. Okay, I see. <laughs> Break me in. 
We pay you by the word for these podcasts. All right. Uh, Aaron Olson, he says, I have a question. In the market for, He's in the market for a new table saw. He says, forgive me, I don't recall the specifics of your three saws. I guess he's referring to April as well. Um, the setups, but he believes the, you guys all have saw stops. Uh, he says, I'm considering a saw stop and currently have an older jet contractor saw. I've been using and believe it to be a one and a half horse horsepower it does bog down from time to time but for the most part cuts most of what i have used thus far i have been trying to figure out if i'll if i go with the uh horse and 1.75 horsepower or the three horsepower saw stop and was curious why you guys went with the three and would you do it again also i don't recall any of you have the overarm dust collection but wondering was wondering what do you think of the saw stops overarm dust collection if you do or what have you heard much about it saw stop is having a promotion currently to currently to for that or the mobile base so wondering your thoughts on which to get so basically he's asking about which uh saw stop uh horsepower wise and also the dust collection and mobile base and i don't have a saw stop so i can't speak well well, I mean, you could speak to the horsepower and stuff, but when I picked up my saw stop, um, it was the same thing. It was either a free overarm or free mobile base. I went for the mobile base just because I like sawdust. It's good for you, and I like and I, and I like having. I was, I mean, I was waiting for Jay to chime in on it, but I went for the mobile base because I know that I, I knew for a fact I was going to be moving my stuff around, and I didn't know uh, I went for the thirty-six inch fence, moving it I around over it, all that that sawdust piles on the floor, yeah, and, you know, yeah, rock climbing with it, you know, <laughs> and and I knew that. I mean, I went with the thirty-six inch fence, but I didn't know if I would upgrade that to the fifty-two inch fence. So the, I don't know if the dust collector works for both, but I, that's the one I opted for. And oddly enough, I actually kind of wish April was here for this because that's the first time I ever talked to her. I wanted to know. I've never met anyone with a 1.75 horse saw stop, and I wanted to ask in which one she had. Of course, she had the three horse because I work on the industrial ones at one of the theater shops I do work for, and that's the one place got a five horse, one's got like a seven. So I knew that that's going to be no problem with anything, but I wanted to know if I could get away with 175. I don't know. I still don't know. But keep in mind, you, you can always go with thin curved blades. You know, make sure your blades are sharp. But I didn't want to have to worry about power ever if I was spending that kind of money on a saw. And so I just went for the three three horse. What about you, Jay? Um, me. So. Uh, both April and Nick purchased theirs, and I just want to throw it out there that the, I got mine through a, a marketing situation, so I did not pay for mine directly with money, um, paid for it with marketing on through my website and such. So at that point, uh, I just chose the three horse with a 52 inch arm, and I do have both the industrial mobile base and the overarm blade guard uh, with dust collection. And uh, I don't want to turn this into like a saw stop commercial, but it, it's it, the whole th- the whole setup is is freaking amazing. the The three horsepower I have never had any problem, you know, uh, bogging down in. Say I think the most I've put it through was uh, like two inch thick oak. I think is what it was that I've used. Um, never bogged down through any of that. I know I have bogged down my old Porter cable table saw, which was a one and a half horse. 
doing uh, thicker stuff. So as far as the horsepower goes, I'd recommend if it's within budget um, to not have that worry of whether or not you're going to be frustrated with the lower horsepower saws. They're still plenty capable of doing the job. You can take the, the cut in multiple passes, um, but I would recommend if it's within budget to get the better horsepower rated saw. As far as the, the um, overarm dust collection, the dust collection itself on that setup is fantastic. It works really, really well. However, it's, it's a pain in the butt within, let's say, three quarters of an inch or less. So if you're cutting half inch wide parts or you're doing a, um, a non-through cut like, like uh, grooves and such with just the regular table saw blade, then you do have to swap that out. So it's not able to be used on 100% of all cuts, but sheet goods and anything greater than three quarters of an inch or so... Uh, I leave mine on. I really, really like it. It's it works great, and I guess everybody knows my anti-dust stance by now. So um, yeah, I really, really like it. The mobile base. Um, there's two mobile bases. I think Nick, you've got the one that's concealed. Do you have the mobile base? Yeah, I I got the one that's concealed underneath, and that's because you have the 52 inch fence. With that longer fence, you have to have the industrial base. Do you? And that, yeah. And then, but you, I mean, you can have the industrial base on the 36 inch fence, but you have to have it with the 52. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I went for the one that's integrated right into the base. Uh, not that I, not that I actually really care what my table saw looks like as far as painted or this or, yeah, you know, but that, that base is designed right in it one little foot pedal and i'm moving that thing around it's 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 pretty well done yeah i the industrial mobile base is fantastic it's got uh, hydraulic in it you just pump it up just like a uh, uh any other like like a jack i guess you could say and it moves moves it around really easy so it's the heaviest tool in my shop and it moves the easiest that being said i barely ever move it around um it's it's the best mobile base i've ever used uh Anyway, I would, to, I would have to agree with you, Jay. If I had a saw stop, and, and just for the record, you know, if somebody wants to send me a saw stop, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but if, if I had one, I, I would go for the dust collection, overarm dust collection, just because in my current situation, you know, my table saw is going to be in the center and I don't have anywhere else to put my table saw. So I'm not going to be moving my table saw. Um, but if I had a shop that was big enough to move it around, then I guess I would opt for the most expensive option. And buy the other. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point too. If if you think you're gonna get both eventually, yeah, might as well get the the higher retail value one for the for the special offer. Yeah. And I, I guess if I would have one complaint about the saw stop saw, at least for the 36 inch fence, the two legs that come down to support the um, the excess to the right of the blade they're 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 not the thickest metal in the world and the 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 attachment point like if you have an uneven shop floor and you're you're pushing it around those can kind of bend out of the way a little bit but once it's down on its weight then you're all good i mean because you're talking direct load bearing straight down to the floor but i really don't have any complaints about it other than that so well nick you asked me to read another a couple of questions so i'll read this next one and right. I want to read it because I'm curious myself. Uh, so Paul asks, whatever happened to Nick's shop organizer? Now, I don't know if they're talking about the, the, the organizing 
project or they're being sarcastic like you had a organizer in your shop because i know that's not the case (laughs) (laughs) um the that is my number one project i want to get back to uh just the way life kind of goes somebody had asked i i I mentioned that i was going to make a lamp for my wife and just get it done in like an afternoon and i never got to it and they were asking if i ever get back to it I'm like, well, the way my the way my life is right now, if if there's a block of time for something and I pass that window, typically it's it's quite some time before I get another chunk of time. That's the number one project I want to get back to. Uh, my shop desperately needs that. It's a 40 bin, you know, the Harbor Freight uh, hardware containers organizer. I've wanted that thing for years. I've been designing it for years. Um, I will get back to it sooner than later, I hope. So let's just start a challenge. I'm just, this is off the cuff here, so sorry for going off the script. <laughs> but uh, so let's start a challenge on Instagram. You know, let's just hammer Nick with uh, pictures of organization and hashtag Nick's organizer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Everybody scroll through Instagram, and if you find a nice organizational solution, hashtag Nick's organizer. What did you say? Hashtag Nick's, hashtag Nick's organizer and tag Nick. All of us. I want to see it too. Hashtag <laughs> Nick get organized. Is there any way we can uh, like hold off on releasing this podcast for maybe six or seven months? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna help you along, Nick. We're helping you finish this project. I, I appreciate that, Sean. I don't know where where what I would do without. I know, you, that's buddy. what I was thinking. <laughs> Well, I think I think we should probably wrap it up after that, of course. But well, that and I think we've we've hit our time. Yeah, cool. we've uh, we blew through it. It was a quick little episode for us. Um, once again, thanks, Sean, for stepping in. If you guys haven't already, check out Sean Stone's website at stoneandsons.net, and check him out on YouTube at Stone and Sons Workshop. Workshop. Yeah, thanks, guys. I, I had fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I need to do it again sometime. Uh, but anyway, that's it uh, for this episode. There's a couple different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast. Oh, that is not it for this episode. So uh, some people have mentioned that only the previous 10 episodes were showing up in their feeds for different mobile devices and such. And I've, I looked at it, could not figure it out. Someone sent me a message and said it had something to do with the RSS feed only showing up 10 posts. And light bulb moment went off. Duh, that's obviously the solution. So thank you for sending me that message. I changed the RSS feed to read everything. So hopefully, uh, send me a message if not. But hopefully, all of the previous episodes should be showing up on all of the devices. Uh, Stupid, simple error on my part. My apologies. And again, thanks for sending that message. So that's it for real this time. And there's a couple different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast. Go to thewoodworkingpodcast.com. And up at the top, there's three clickable buttons to subscribe on Android, RSS, or on iTunes. And if you are on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. That's always appreciated. And if you'd like to help contribute to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the woodworking podcast or the woodworking podcast and click on the contribute button. And once again, thanks to all of those who have shown their support in that regard. That's it. Thanks for listening. Again, thanks to Sean for filling in for April this week. And you guys take care. Say thanks, Sean. Bye. Or, or, or bye. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'm cool. I was just going to say thanks. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't know on. if you guys said bye or what. So. 
yeah, thanks again, Sean. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Like Bye. A goat. Bye. <laughs>